Hey, it's Katrina. I grew up on the Space Coast, and my whole life I've been watching rocket launches from my home. So when I got the opportunity to sit in the same room as two NASA astronauts, I was ready with a list of questions about their experiences and stories and opinions about this truly unique job that plays such an important role in my hometown. So today, I want to share this conversation with you. And even if you don't care about space or rockets, I think you'll enjoy listening to what they have to say about our place in this universe and the mission that we're all a part of as a species. Here are retired NASA astronauts Nicole Stott and Chris Ferguson speaking with me at Kennedy Space Center Visitor Complex last week, where a special late night event called Kennedy Under the Stars was happening. Well, I, well Nicole Stott, um, retired NASA astronaut, uh, artist, probably most importantly, mom. Yeah, founder of the Space for Art Foundation, if you want to throw that in there. Uh, Chris Ferguson, uh, former NASA and Boeing astronaut, recently retired, and I don't have too much to add to my resume since then, so I'm taking it easy for a few months. <laughs> have you seen your picture in the Astronaut Hall of Fame here? Yes. What was that like? Well, there's a little sense of I really don't feel like I belong with these other people here, you know, because you've got John Young, you've got, you know, Gus Chris. I mean, you've got, you know, it's it's almost a little embarrassing to be hanging out in the same room as those legends that you know we sort of read about in history books growing up and you know aspired to be one day but thought no that'll never happen and then you know one thing leads to another and you know there you are so uh, I'd have to sum it up in a word and say I'm humbled and I don't feel like I belong there with those other great folks but it's nice to be there. Um, tell me a little bit about your expectations and hopes for the future of uh, private space companies working with NASA and astronauts. Yeah, we were just chatting a little bit about that. You know, SpaceX has been enormously successful, you know, being re reliably launching people with the space station. Boeing has been delayed. However, they will be equally successful when they begin. You know, I, I think we're eagerly anticipating their their journey here in um, in April, which I think is looking pretty good. So, you know, for the first time in like a long time, we'll have several ways to get people back and forth to the International Space Station. Um, I'm very optimistic. I, I do think that NASA and, you know, the exploration goals that we sort of hold as a nation are beginning to unfold to the point that NASA will become sort of the pointy end of the spear, right? It's the, I'm going to Mars, I'm going to the moon. and. And, you know, we've now got commercial infrastructure that will build a low Earth orbit space station and will build a transportation capability to get cargo and crew back and forth to low Earth orbit destinations so that NASA can focus on its exploration mission. So that's what I sort of foresee, and I think it's coming together very nicely. And now that we have redundant ways to get people back and forth, you know, we're not sort of just holding on the edge, um, you know, if we find ourselves down for a period of time like we did with the shuttle over, you know, um, when we had, you know, bad accidents. But, uh, but I, I think it's shaping up very nicely. I'm a little curious, you know, what, how Artemis is going to play out timeline-wise, as I think we all are, because as we all know, it's sort of hinging on some pretty big developments on either the Blue Origin or the SpaceX side to get the lander down there. But I still think that, you know, it's great because the plans are there. 
you know, we may not be doing it tomorrow, but it looks like you know someone is going to be very successful sending a long-term expedition to the moon. So I, I think it's it's a great time. Plus, you have a lot of commercial companies involved, and you know it's not being the cost is not being borne by just the U.S. government or ESA or you know we've we've got skin in the game and potential investment dollars coming in, which I think can only make it better in the long. Nicole, I wanted to ask you, especially at this kind of event, there's a lot of, you know, colors and lights and things and planning that went into Kennedy Under the Stars. And so for someone like you, who is known for, you know, combining those themes of art and space, my question to you is, like, what is the connection between <laughs> rocket science and artistic expression? Because I chose the artistic expression route, but I, I don't know if I could also go the rocket. So what's... What's the common ground? Well, I don't know if you could necessarily, you know, maybe you're not into the rocket thing, but I, I'm fairly certain there'd be some other way that you could apply and that you are applying your creative skills, um, technically, scientifically, in a spacey way, if you will, um, that maybe you're not even thinking about on a daily basis. I think it's just the, the biggest thing to me about this whole intersection between science and art is that... Um, we need, I mean, I think we really need to be encouraging kids or people, especially our kids, to be using their whole brains and by bringing all of your talents to bear. And that's what I see when I see the lights, you know, like, you know, the colors. There, there's some beautiful chalk, chalk art out there tonight that is just really complements the storytelling that goes on here and I think inspires people to want to learn more. But to me, ultimately, it's about using your whole brain and becoming the best problem solver you can be. Yeah. Yeah, creativity comes in a lot of forms, and um, you know, I think art opens us up in a way where we can think outside of what already exists, and that has absolutely been fruitful for And it's been built into the science world forever, right? You know, it's it, science has not been independent of art. You know, we think about the it, the things that seem to catch the public's eye are things like the Webb telescope and the imagery that's coming back. And the reason it looks that way is because somebody decided for us to understand all these ones and zeros that are coming back, we need to make this gas look this color or this distance be these colors. And so our brains process that in, in a much clearer fashion. The scientists even understood that, right? And then we get these really extraordinary images <laughs> from it as well. And, and then I think it works the other way, you know, too, is that... Um, I mean, I found almost immediately when I started approaching the storytelling of my own experience by using art was that, man, I could engage with audiences that may have never, ever otherwise known that there even was a space station or that we've been off the planet orbiting the Earth for over 20 years, you know, peacefully, successfully as an international community where everything that we're doing is ultimately about improving life on Earth. That backstory is there. Whether they like my art or not, that's the conversation they're going to end up <laughs> having with me. And it's pretty cool to be able to engage that way. And, and I would just say, someday I hope I get to see my picture next to Chris's in the <laughs> Just a matter of time. <laughs> you didn't ask me about that. <laughs> Maybe we'll come back. No, 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 how did your career working in space change the way you live life here on Earth? Uh, I think, you know, and when I, in you know, hindsight's this really wonderful thing. You know, I look back to just even my days as an engineer here at Kennedy Space Center, which is where it all started for me in the space shuttle program. And some of the lessons that I learned 
as an engineer on the space shuttle and the space station program carried through with what I was doing as an engineer, I think really supported kind of the work ethic even that I had it, you know, down here on earth, of course, but in space as well, you know, things like going in to a problem, believing there's a solution to that problem. I mean, that was part of just the way we worked here at KSC. And I think that they continue to work here at KSC. And in addition to that, believing in this whole kind of approach, like, here's how we can, not why we can't. And I, that to me just opens up opportunities and solutions in a way that, you know, getting bogged down in the, the why we can't, we'll, we'll never get you to. And so in places like this where, you know, with space, you know, you talk about SpaceX and the, the repetitiveness of what's going on there, what's coming forward with Boeing, what we have to look forward to with Artemis, those things in some ways seem impossible. So you have to believe the solutions exist to them and bring, again, bring all of those talents to bear to make it a reality. And then ultimately for me, the, you know, kind of the, the lessons in um, life on earth that came from uh, the opportunity to fly in space, I always thought they would be more of the complex ones, you know, that had to do with the science and all. And, and in the end, it was the simple ones like, oh my gosh, we live on a planet. You know, we're all earthlings. Only border that matters, and I'm looking at a picture behind you, that thin blue line of atmosphere, and how if, when, I hope, we all accept our role as crewmates and not passengers, you know, we have the power to create a future for all life on Earth that's as beautiful as it looks from space. So every morning I wake up, I hope all of you guys do, your feet hit the floor and you're like, I'm on a planet in space. Need to be a crewmate. I mean, how did, yeah. how did you both deal with that in the ISS? Not being able to put your foot down and be like, this is where I belong. You're in this very highly regulated, you know, carefully balanced environment. Well, I think, and I think that comes, I think that feeds right into this idea of being crewmates on like Spaceship Earth is, you know, we build this machine in space to mimic as best we can what Earth does for us naturally, right? And then we get there and we're floating and our bodies are adapting and it's incredible to see how that, how quickly that happens. And every morning we wake up and one of the first things we do is we check how much CO2 is in our atmosphere, how much clean drinking water we have, integrity of our thin metal hull, you know, health and well-being of all of our crewmates. And we have, to, we know we have to do that to survive there. And then we thrive in that place because of it. And we can do the science and all of the things that are coming back to improve life on Earth. But we recognize that, you know, being a crew is our primary role to having all of the success that can come from that place. Looking back at your career, Chris, is there anything that you wish you'd done differently or that you feel like you're missing out on right now? <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, you know, we, we mentioned earlier, I wish, you know, we're getting a little older and I wish we were 40 again because I want to, I'd love to go back and sort of start over. Older's better, Chris. I'd love to bodies. start over the space part of my career again because <laughs> I look upon, you know, all of our, the, the younglings that were just showing up in the astronaut office when we were getting ready to retire and they're all now happily working in space and some of them have the potential to go to the moon. You know, I, I, I do think that the astronaut, the astronauts that will eventually go back to the moon are, they're active astronauts right yeah. now and they sort of, they walk the same halls that we did. Um, so there's a little part of me that almost wants to go back and, you know, I'm a little envious of those youngsters and, and I want to go back and steal their jobs off them. There's but, some of the oldsters still there that are getting ready to do it. <laughs> but, but at the same time, I wouldn't trade my experiences for anything in the world. Absolutely and and not. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about, uh, you know, not just my NASA experience, but my Navy experience, you know, my, my time at Boeing. I, I've, I've lived 
in my opinion, a dream life. I have had just a wonderful time, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I would just want to steal someone else's opportunity <laughs> to go back to the, to go to the moon or something. But I, I've been, I've been blessed in a lot of ways. Yeah. Well, they're launching people to uh, the, the edge of the atmosphere these days. Would you guys be interested in doing something like that? I've seen a few former astronauts take those. I would give it a try. Yeah, to me I it seems I, like not, a, a very like a like a awesome yeah. amusement ride. I mean, yeah. I, I'd, I'd love to go do that, but only because I just I love roller coasters. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think you know why would you turn that opportunity down? And oh my gosh, I I just would love to go to the moon. Yeah. You know, I look. That's why when I when talking to kids, I'm like, dude, call me if they're taking you to the moon. Call mm -hmm. me, take me with you. You know, so I find myself living vicariously and loving seeing those those young people that came in as we were retiring, seeing them on the space station doing amazing work like we knew they would when we picked them, yeah. <laughs> and just wishing we were there with them. All right, guys. Thank you, guys. Okay. All right. All right. Well, we'll stop there. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks for listening. I'm Katrina Scales. I'll be back tomorrow with a regular episode of your Florida Daily.